The scripture reading tonight comes from 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, at the, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, that is such a a wonderfully rich portion of scripture. And as I spent time in it this week getting, getting ready, the second part of verse 5 kept coming up, and um, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves. Live in such a way, the people you're in relationship with, live with humility towards them. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think of one person in your life right now that maybe you're struggling a little bit with relationally, that you need a little help with relationally this week. Might be a co-worker, might be a family member, might be somebody you're going to see at Thanksgiving. Um, just think for a moment about one person in your life that maybe you need a little help with relationally. Okay, keep, keep that person in mind as we go through this tonight. What does it mean to live with humility with that other person? Uh, the word literally means to be made low, to put yourself beneath in rank, to come under for the sake of serving another person. I think we all have a general idea of, of what that word means, but just, just wanted to think a little bit about what does it look like to live with humility towards the other people in your life. Let's start. Let me suggest that the first, uh, first thing that we can do is take a non-judgmental posture towards that person. That's something I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, judgment. And uh, I've been rather surprised, rather convicted about how easy it is for me to judge other people, for how often judgment arises in my heart. Uh, yesterday, I'm in yoga, hot yoga. Erase that figure from your head. There's an illustration here. And I'm trying to focus and stay on my mat and all the things they tell you to do. And we were in a downward whatever. And um, this young lady in front of me, uh, about 20, pulls out her phone. 
and uh, starts. And in my head, I just go off. The nerve of her bringing a phone. These millennials, you know, they can't even go through a yoga practice without connecting. And, and Steve Jobs and yada, yada, yada. And so 15 minutes later, I am just going ballistic all over this young woman, judging her. Why? Is it my problem? I have a friend who is uh, in a church whose theology is a little different than mine, and I, I, I'm troubled sometime about where it might lead. I met with him, and he was talking about how excited he was, and, and uh, I wanted to gig him. Just kind of, not, I wasn't going to be mean enough to really say what I thought, but I wanted to just let him know that I didn't like part of it, just enough to kind of maybe ruin his day a little. And the Lord was just like, why? Is, that, is he your problem? I have another friend I've known for years, and he's got a lot of money. And I have wanted him to get passionate about East Knoxville and the kids. And he cares about Africa. Isn't that disgusting? And I've been so mad at him because he didn't catch my vision and he didn't care for what I cared for and all the money he could spend on those plane tickets. If he'd give it to us, we'd know what to do with it. And all of it's self-righteous in chapter and verse. And the Lord's just been saying, really? Is he your problem? I'm finding, too, that being critical, being judgmental is exhausting. It just takes so much energy to judge you. And it kills any chance for humility. Because even if I'm smart enough to keep it under the lid, you can tell but I'm not really for you. There's this uh, scene in Romans 15, and man, they were a really judgmental congregation. They were judging about important doctrinal issues that were dividing the church, and you could tell they were going back and forth, back and forth. And Paul has this great line at the end. He says, brothers and sisters, who are you to judge each other? It's to his Lord that he stands or falls. Everyone will bow before Christ. In other words not your job. So think for a moment about that as we think about practicing humility towards others. Because if that judgmental spirit wells up within us towards others, it will kill the way we relate to them and they will not experience Christ's humility. Now, I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too, but wait a minute, aren't we supposed to stand for truth? Aren't we supposed to stand for righteousness? Aren't we supposed to critique the evil way? Of course we are. There's a place for that. Yes, if somebody's teaching some crazy thing in a small group, the shepherding team, I need to talk to them about that. Yes, if your friend is going down a dangerous path, of course there's a time when you talk to them about that. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know the difference when somebody comes to you in humility and grace and brokenness and when somebody comes to you with judgment. You can feel it. You can feel it. I'm not asking you to go all you know, California here and get all mushy. Uh, I, I, I'm, saying, I'm not saying give up truth and fighting for truth and all that. 
I'm saying, quit judging. Think about your posture towards the world. Is it constantly one of critique? And those of you that are on my half of life, we especially struggle with this. <laughs> because it is true that life was better 25 years ago, and we did raise our children better, and the music was better, and everything was better 25 years ago, but we just need to let that go. That's one of the great sins of getting older. God, fight it all the time. 40-plusers out there, let's, let's not be cranky old people. Let's not be the ones that our kids are saying to their friends when they get ready to come to our house for Thanksgiving, oh, I hope my dad doesn't go off again on... <laughs> don't need it, don't need it. That's not humility. second way to practice a little humility is, is just having compassion. Again, I want you to imagine that person that you're going to talk to this week that you're maybe upset. It might be a client, a boss, teacher, student. Maybe you've got a meeting tomorrow morning you're kind of anxious about right now. Well, step back for a moment and just remember a couple of things. Remember, first of all, that he is made in the image of God, just like you. And so you're connected. You're all in this together. Remember, too, that he has suffering that you don't know about. That he had a weekend that you don't know about. That he's reading emails that you don't know about. He has a story that you don't know about. And third, remember that he's probably anxious about this meeting too. Unless he's totally clueless, and that's another problem. Uh, he's probably anxious too. Compassion breeds humility. Third, third way that we can live humbly towards one another is by being more curious with one another. I think one of the marks of humility, of kind of being under another person, of putting ourselves under another person, is that I enter into conversation with them, I enter in a relationship with them with a profound curiousness about who they are, about their story, about what they're afraid of, about where they come from, about where they're going. I think it's a wonderful way to practice humility is to genuinely be curious about the soul of the other person. fourth way that we find in Scripture about practicing humility is in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul uses the Lord as an example. And he says, put others' needs above your own as Christ Jesus did. And then he gives that wonderful passage about Christ coming to the cross. 
That sounds so simple, doesn't it? Put others' needs above your own. And you might just think about that relationship again. What do they need? What do you think they need from, uh, from that relationship? What do they need from you? The tendency is for me to think about what I need from them. But in humility, if my focus is, I wonder what your needs are in this. It opens up a beautiful space. And, and, and I don't think most of the time we miss this maliciously. I think we're just oriented around our own needs. And a lot of times, more damage is done without really realizing it. Let me give it a little illustration. And she did not ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it. and We'll clean it up tomorrow morning. Um, so imagine for a moment what Jill Branson needs when she comes to church on Sunday night. Jill is our office manager. Jill is our church administrator. Jill works Monday to Friday. Actually, she works a lot more than that, but she's paid for Monday to Friday. Those are her hours. Now imagine that Jill Branson comes into church on a Sunday night. What do you think she needs? Anybody? What does Jill need on a Sunday night? Not to work. What? Appreciation. Appreciation. What else? A hug, yeah. Okay. Par- pardon? Wine. Wine? Well, that, that would be after. Yeah, you know. Okay. Now, I know we're not thinking about it, because I've done this tour, and I've seen you do it tour. Hey, Jill, um, could you put this in the bulletin for me? I just didn't want to forget it. Hey, Jill, I forgot to give you my check. Hey, Jill, Doug's a bonehead. Could we? <laughs> and these are small little things. And she'll never mention it to you. But it's why 90% of church administrators don't go to church where they work. It's because this becomes another night on the shift. So I'm going to ask you, and she did not ask me to do this. I'm sure she wished I didn't do this. I'm going to ask you to put her needs above your own and don't ask her to do anything at all on Sunday night about work ever again. How's that? How's that? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, another, um, there's another way that we can live humbly with each other. And it's, I don't know, I don't know the right wording, but I'm thinking of not being omniscient. And by that I mean when I sit down for lunch with Mark that I assume that he has something for me that I need and do not know. And that when we are in community together, even when we differ, even when we disagree, that there is something that I can learn from you that I cannot discover on my own. Even if we disagree on something. 
it's a very different posture towards a relationship. It's a very different posture towards a relationship. Is when I come into it believing that God put you in my life to share something with me that I do not know. Well, the last little part of this phrase, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. It's a very strong word. It means resist, fights against, wages war against. Um, I don't think that's just a metaphor. I think what he's saying is that if, if, if the bent of my heart is towards pride, if really my ego is the center of my life, if protecting myself is the goal of my life, if getting you to do what I need you to do is the priority of my life, if manipulating others through power and intimidation is how I get through my life, if the posture of my life is oriented towards me, God is against me. And I'm not talking about salvation here, but I just mean the way God has designed the universe is that the universe itself will conspire against you to break you of your pride. And I don't want to get too funky on this, but I really think this is true is that sometimes the reasons why we run into hard wall after hard wall after hard wall is because God wants to break our pride. God opposes the proud. He does not want his people to be proud. Why don't I get what I want? Maybe because God is opposing you. This is a silly illustration, but I, I think it works. Last night, Bryden and I watched, what was the name? Thor. Thor. It, it's a, it was a really good movie. It was, a, it, was a, it was Thor, about this Greek god. It comes from this Greek myth. Uh, and this, this great god has this hammer. And when he has the hammer, he can fulfill his purpose in the world and fight for justice and truth. But in the movie begins, a young Thor is kind of a cocky idiot. And so his father says, takes the hammer away from him and says, you can't pick it up again until you're worthy. And the rest of the story is about him becoming humbled. And once the hammer comes back to him, he fulfills his destiny. I think the reason why those myths stay with us for 4,000 years is they talk to truths that are deep within us, very much in the heart of our life, that they echo God's reality. Part of God's reality is you will not get the hammer. You will not get the power to be who you are in the world if you are proud. There will be a breaking and a humbling that must come to prepare you for your destiny. And if you resist it, you will never get the hammer. You will never get the hammer. And if you are in a place right now of brokenness and frustration and suffering, it is a good thing because God is using it to oppose your pride and work in you 
humility. This is the older person I want to be. This is the older person you want to be. Someone in whom the suffering of life have crushed us to the point that our pride has minimized and our humility has increased. Here's the thing that's so hard about this. It's so hard to see our own shadow. It is so hard to see this in our lives, to see where I am proud, to see where I lack humility, to see where I approach other relationships always with a conviction that I am right and you are wrong and I need to show you where. It's so hard to see that because when you've been doing it for years, it gets hardwired into you, you become entirely blind to it. And then you wonder why the kids don't want to come home for Thanksgiving. And any time somebody brings it up, you rip their head off and wonder why the phone doesn't ring. If we are to deal with this kind of sin, pride, egotism, selfishness, that fractures our relationships. It's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot just do it yourself. And that work will take place in the context of loving, intimate relationships where someone who knows you well will call you on your blank. Now, one thing I want to ask you by way of application Is there anyone in your life that will call your stuff? Anyone in your life who will call your stuff? And if there's not, it's because you're proud. It's not because you're too busy. It's not because the church doesn't connect well. It's not because people are unfriendly. If you do not have any person in your life who will call your stuff, it's because you have not given them permission to do so. It's on you. It's your stuff. And it's dangerous. So I plead with you to take the mask off, to quit pretending, to quit acting like everything is right, and get into some kind of a community, somewhere, somehow, where people will speak truth into your life. Because that's the only way you'll get the hammer. Let's pray.